Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com spoken today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Greetings and welcome to the Games Master Academy. This is Under Consultation, an episode-by-episode podcast guide through the UK's greatest video game challenge TV show, Games Master. I am one of your hosts, Luke Owen, the podcaster that never lets you down. And getting totally interactive, I am Ash Versus. This episode aired on the 18th of November 1993, and there's no change on either chart as Meatloaf is still top of the pops with I Would Do Anything For Love, and Dave is topping the UK box office However, when I was doing some research on this, according to Salty Popcorn, uh, a website that I found uh, that sort of tracks like weekend box office, it was actually Demolition Man. But Wikipedia says it's Dave. At the end of a century, ravaged by violence, a society of perfect order will arise. will be frozen and reprogrammed in cryogenic prisons. The prisoners are ice cubes. Their criminal instincts are being reprogrammed as they sleep. Aggression and deviant behavior will be totally eliminated. He's a criminal the likes of which you have never seen. In a bad time, he was the worst. I'm gonna love running this place. But in the year 2032... This morning, Sam and Phoenix escaped from this cryo facility. And we are, quite frankly, not equipped to deal with the situation. Amidst a world of peace and calm... We're police officers. We're not trained for this kind of violence. How was the fiendish Simon Phoenix apprehended back in the 20th? In the end, it took just one man. John Spartan. You mean the demolition man? Conditions of your parole are full reinstatement into the SAPD and immediate assignment to the apprehension of Simon Phoenix. Two mortal enemies. Just dropped in to say hi. From another time. Pass is over, John. Time for something new and improved. Oh, hell. Will be unleashed on a future that isn't big enough for the both of them. 
Sylvester Stallone, Wesley Snipes, Demolition Man. Do you know what? I can entirely believe Demolition Man would have taken more in a single weekend than Dave. And to be fair, that's because it's Demolition Man. I would have probably chosen that, even though I do love Sigourney Weaver. But Demolition Man, Luke? This is Dave in its second week as well, so more likely, yeah, Demolition Man is going to do much better. Also, Demolition Man's f***ing brilliant. What a great film. It's a film so good, you'd probably forget to pay your taxes based on appearing in it. (laughs) I actually got to ask um, uh, Sly Stallone and Wesley Snipes questions about Demolition Man. Uh, because I was at uh, a press junket for The Expendables 3. I want to say it was the third one. And, you know, they got the panel there. You know, Terry Crews is there and Sly was there and, and Snipes was there. And all I could think of, because the pair of them were sat next to each other, was like, holy shit, it's the cast of Demolition Man. I've got to ask them about Demolition Man. And so I did. That's a question for Sly and Wesley. Uh, you mentioned working together on Demolition Man. Was there at any point any talk of dyeing your hair blonde again to do the Simon Phoenix <laughs> hairstyle? Oh, yeah, I dare you to ask him to dye his hair blonde again. He, 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 he hinted at it, but I, so I refused. That was a lot of work, man. I thought, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was a lot of work. work. Yeah, that blonde hair, my hair fell out. I know, literally his hair fell off. Yeah. And we had to buy some blonde divot every morning. (laughs) It was great to hit balls off of. It was great. (laughs) (laughs) Now, who had that look first? Was it him or was it Rodman? Because it was a very Dennis Rodman look, or Dennis Rodman had a very Wesley Snipes look. Well, I've just gone to the IMDb trivia page for Demolition Man, which I will say I was once told by Paul W.S. Anderson in the sort of movie industry, they call it the inaccurate movie database because there's so much bollocks on there. According to IMDb's trivia page, it does say Wesley Snipes hated his blonde hair dye and shaved his head as soon as the film was complete. After the movie's release, professional NBA player Dennis Rodman began dyeing his head different colours, a look that was inspired by Simon Phoenix. And I'll tell you what, as a bit of a, uh, a backtrack on the inaccurate movie database claim that I just made then that came from Paul W.S. Anderson, apparently in the Netflix series, um, The Last Dance, with, uh, about the Chicago Bulls team, in that documentary, Dennis Rodman says it was inspired by Simon Phoenix of Demolition Man. That's so badass. I actually really like that. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> what were we talking about? Yeah, well, we were supposed to be talking about Dave or uh, I will do anything for love, but I won't do that. But instead, we started talking about Demolition Man because Demolition Man's brilliant. Well, I didn't really have anything more to say about Dave. We covered it last week, but I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. I do have some stuff to say about. Um, we're spacing it out. As per the conversation that we had earlier, we are going to talk about the music video in a couple of weeks because mm-hmm. I sat and rewatched it in its entirety today. And all I could think was, I really want to know what Luke thinks of this music video. <laughs> I will get round to watching it. So the, we'll, I'll have like my thoughts on it in a couple of weeks' time. But what I did want to talk about was a part of the song that is as iconic as Meatloaf, is as iconic as the overblown production of Jim Steinman. It is the female vocalist that we get towards the end, credited on the album as Mrs. Loud, but otherwise known as Lorraine Crosby. Now, if you've seen the music video for I Would Do Anything For Love, but I won't do that, you have not seen Mrs. Loud. If you saw Meatloaf in the 90s touring this album, or you've seen it on video later, unless you were at one show, 
you have not seen Mrs. Loud because Lorraine Crosby was brought in to sing guide vocals. They were never meant for release. They were there so Meatloaf had something to react to when he was recording his vocals. Because to skip back a bit, Bat Out of Hell 2 marked the return to a working relationship between Meatloaf and Jim Steinman. They had not worked together for 17 years at that point. They had a falling out after the first Bat Out of Hell. Jim Steinman went off and wrote a huge amount of songs for a lot of very successful people. And Meatloaf went off and wasn't successful. He Mm -hmm. had a series of 20-odd singles, none of which did a damn. While Jim Steinman was writing very successful music, he wrote a song for Bonnie Tyler, who is an absolute powerhouse of a voice. Bonnie Tyler is friends with Lorraine Crosby, and I believe that is how the path of Steinman and Crosby crossed. So Steinman started working with Crosby and her real-life partner. He got her signed to the record label. He got her a manager. And in addition to working on their own material, he got her a gig on Bat Out of Hell 2. Now, she sang backing vocals on a number of other tracks where she is credited as Lorraine Crosby. However, as I said, what she did for I Would Do Anything For Love was just guide vocals. They were never meant to be heard outside of the studio or probably a collector's edition that's released on the 25th anniversary where we get all the demos. But they really liked her vocals. And if you listen to the song, you can understand why. It's an immensely powerful, throaty performance. Originally, they were going to get someone like Cher in to do it, which I just think would have been a a terrible, terrible Mm. idea because it needed a rock and roll voice. And she has a rock and roll voice. What comes next is somewhat a bone of contention. There are some recollections that say because she was only contracted to record guide vocals, that was why she wasn't credited with her real name. It's why she never received royalties and that she felt distinctly screwed over as a result. Now, this is something that's been played up to when she made a couple of different appearances on reality TV competitions, The Voice and X Factor and stuff, where she actually didn't get very far, which is amazing given the Mm -hmm. vocal talent she still has. Meatloaf has disputed this. Meatloaf has said that neither him nor Jim deliberately screwed her out of any money. He claims he told her not to credit herself as Mrs. Loud on that. And she worked with Jim Steinman again. They toured together, where Jim Steinman was playing all the songs he wrote for Meatloaf and also some of the others, and Lorraine was one of the singers on it. She also did sing the song live once with Meatloaf in 1994 in the UK. And recently, she's also played down any amnosity there, although she does use it as an anecdote in that, you know, she recorded these vocals, but she didn't get to appear in the music video because Michael Bay didn't like how she looked. Mm -hmm. And in fact, the actress who was in the music video got a recording contract offer based off of miming. (laughs) So do you know what? She would have an understandable reason to be bitter. Oh, yeah. But how angry or bitter she was or she remains... It's debatable, and I'm not going to hold up anything she said on a reality TV show as proof, because as we all know, that shit is edited to tell the story the producers want to tell. We discuss it on Games Master. It happens a lot. But the biggest spanner in the works for her career was that Bat Out of Hell 2 went tremendously over budget. As a result of this, one of the managers involved was fired, and all of the acts signed to that manager were also let go and that included Lorraine and her husband. So here she was 
on one of the biggest selling albums in North America and doing a damn good job of selling in Europe. And she was back in the UK, back on the club circuit. Oof. And she never quite recovered from that. She's still touring. She's still going today. She still sounds pretty good. Great voice, great talent. She could have been another Bonnie Tyler. They have a very similar vocal range. They've actually recorded together. They've done songs together and they've appeared on stage together. So clearly, they're still really good friends. But when it comes to Bat Out of Hell 2 and it comes to I Would Do Anything for Love, whether she's bitter about it or not, I feel very, very bad for her. Yeah. Even if she didn't sign a contract to get royalties, Meatloaf made a fortune off that. Oh, God, yeah, absolutely. There would have been a heck of a... You'd, have been, you'd still get royalty checks now. I mean, just the amount of times I've played the song while prepping <laughs> for this podcast would be a couple of quid his way. It's never been said if him or Jim offered them an extra payment or something as compensatory measure. Maybe they did. Maybe that's when things were settled between them. But I would hope that somewhere they would have had the decency to do that. Yeah. It's not about legal obligations. It's about doing the right thing. Well, we did get an email, uh, funnily enough, uh, about Mrs. Loud um, from uh, a listener called Craig, who says, hey, guys, just listening to yesterday's podcast. Uh, this was said when we released episode eight, I believe it was. Um, just listening to yesterday's podcast, my ears pricked up. Are you talking about Lorraine Crosby? I used to play guitar for a few club bands back in the Northeast some years back, and twice we were booked with her. No great stories or anything, but I've spoken and worked with her. She was always nice, but did have a very high opinion of herself. Couldn't help but bring it up, and she mentions it to the audience on every gig she did even though the punters have already seen it countless times probably are fully aware of that fact obviously in reference to the i was the singer on i would do anything for love uh craig continues not getting through on the voice will have really bruised her ego love the podcast keep it up lads from craig and i just want to uh, mention this as well because there is an addendum to this email that says i got a super scope from rumlows back in the day for 15 quid if memory serves it ate through the batteries and the targeting was naff that last bit, at least, is definitely entirely accurate. <laughs> and it was even worse if you tried to use rechargeable batteries because they never last as long as a proper set of Duracells. They don't indeed. Thank you for that email, Craig. That's really interesting. It is, and I can entirely believe she would include that as one of her bits between songs. And she's not alone in doing that. I mean, I've seen some artists multiple times and the banter will be the same. Or I've listened to bootleg concerts. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. From different dates on the same tour of different artists. And it's just one of those things. I can also entirely understand that she might be a bit full of herself. She's a performer. Uh, a couple of game releases to go through this week. Uh, Bob on the Mega Drive, which I only bring up because it's there's artwork for Bob that always like uh, it, it strikes me in the memory of like I've never played the game. I don't even think I've really watched playthroughs of the game either. But the the image of that character always sticks with me. Also released this week, Night Trap uh, on the Mega CD in japan but you can tell that christmas is round the corner because we have got sonic out of the wazoo if you've got a game gear or a master system you can get yourself sonic chaos but if you've got a mega drive sonic 3 is not finished so you're gonna have to deal with sonic spinball and finally i can now remember what I got for Christmas 1993. It was, of course, Sonic fucking Spinball. And I cannot believe it's taken us this long for me to remember. And your mother still didn't come through with that information. 
I know, I had to remember that my own. And it's only when I was going through what games were released. Sonic Spinball. Oh, of course, that's the big game I got that year. But we can talk about Sonic Spinball at a later date because I'm pretty sure we get some stuff about in Games Master. I think it might get reviewed or something. So, Ash, tell us what's happening up in the magazines. Well, the end is nigh. This is the last week for issue 11. It's also the last Games Master magazine fully under the old team. A lot of staff changes come into play in issue 12, but we'll get to that next week because this issue is interesting in more than just its editorial changes. Mm -hmm. But to leave us for issue 11, I'm going to go back to the letters page. Okay. We had some interesting letters last time. We had that lad who said that his mate was lying to him about Street Fighter 2 cheats. Well, this one is a box out that contains two letters. And I'm only including it because I am amazed that they decided to print this. And you'll find out why. Yippee, your mag is crap. Yep, I give your magazine <laughs> mediocre marks. Try saying that fast. The jokes are about as funny as Norman Lamont, and as for the tips, a waiter could expect better tips from a peasant. You don't put enough effort into your reviews, and in issue 9 in the Ultimate Soccer Review, you let James Leach get away with murder. Am I right in assuming that Map Evans and Ed Ricketts wear wigs and Adrian wears pink pants? Not entirely sure. Well, I think it's probably referring to that he's wearing girly knickers. Oh, yeah. I suppose I was, I was thinking pink pants like the ones that Danny Bear wears later, but that's trousers. <laughs> it's only pants in the American sense. Exactly. Your magazine has all the top things a crap magazine needs. Reviews, reviewers, letters, jokes, the works. Here are my official verdicts for the Games Master magazine. Graphics, four. Crap pictures on front covers. Sound, zero. I can't hear you. Readability, one. Can't even tell what any of you dweebs are talking about. Wow, dweebs, there's a word. That's a good, that's a good word. Last ability, one. One read, and in the bin it goes. Now for my tips. Obey or perish. Smash James Leach's fat face in on level one for maximum points. For a level select, kill Adrian Price on the title screen and press buttons one and two simultaneously. To defeat end-of-level guardian Kelvin Hendrickson... Seek address and burn house to ashes. Print my letter because my rocket launcher is aimed, poised and ready to fire at Future Publishing Limited. Yes, I'll even take out Superplay and Total 2. On a lighter note, I'm a psycho. Signed, <laughs> Mark Cullen, Morton. P.S. What sex is Les? The, I mean, this reads very much like a forum post in sort of like 2003. When you said forum, I was just thinking forum is in the little adult magazine that you just said. <laughs> Dear no. forum, you will never believe what happened to me today. <laughs> I got a letter from a psycho. But then, that's not all. There is a second letter in the box out that says, Your mag is total... Wait, I'm not going to start my letter with that pile of unoriginal vomit. I am gonna, whether you like it or not, ask you some questions and boss you around, without numbering them. Why the hell did you let James Leach get away with such foul crap? Secondly, if you all hate aid so much, why don't you sack the ignoramus? What is mode 7 for God's sake? Amigas are rubbish because they only have one joystick button control. True or false? I also like Sega Power, so I hope you get along with Ramshaw and co. Finally, my well-fit girlfriend fancies Les Ellis. Is she sad or what? And that's from <laughs> Ricky Haslam, also in Morton. P.S. Make Andy Lowe your deputy editor. So what you're seeing there, listeners, is that a video game fan critique has not aged a day in the last 28 or whatever years. We are still getting like, I cannot believe that this reviewer gave this score to a video game. They must be destroyed. 
but at least here I think it's slightly more tongue-in-cheek than now which is just like you know like reviewers get death threats because they didn't like the broken cyberpunk game that came out I mean that first letter does suggest smashing someone's face in Yes, it, and it is, but I, I think that there's not like the malicious intent that someone would have now hiding behind the keyboard. They're just hiding behind a different kind of keyboard uh, there in 1993. Well, whether they meant it or not, I am surprised that these were both published. And Games Master Magazine does respond. Not a bad attempt, not bad at all. Different pen, different names, nearly a different address, but you're the same person, you see and your identity, Jape, has cost you more dearly than you would care to imagine. Watch the post. Bloody hell! Oh, and by the way, you're a bit behind the times, aren't you? Andy's been Deputy Ed for a fair few months now, and as from today, he is in fact going to fulfil his lifelong ambition of being the boss. What the f*** did they send him (laughs) in the post? (laughs) I can't imagine, though, like, sitting around the office and that letter comes through and you're just sort of reading around past it and having a joke with each other because we get emails like that to my day job to my the other podcast that i do for for work we get emails like that a lot and we get tweets like that a lot as well and we do sort of like read them out to each other because they are like the people who have just got this real venomous hate towards a, a product i'm like but you're still listening or like in this case you're still reading so much so that you've actively gone out of your way to tell me that you don't like it it's still real to them luke it's still very real <laughs> to them <laughs> It's the same with Doctor Who or Star Trek or Star Wars. Oh, if yeah. you don't like it, stop watching. I'm not a huge fan of the WWE right now. Do you know mm-hmm. what I did? I stopped watching. Yeah. It was it's that simple, simple that. Luke. I turned it off and I cancelled my subscription. Do you think other people know you can do that? That you can just not watch? Well, I don't know, but they like to threaten that they, they you know, like, oh, if they do this, I'm cancelling my subscription. I'm never watching it again. And you'll hear those people like a few months later being like, well, if they do this, then I'm going to cancel my subscription and I'll never watch it again. I'm only watching it because it's my job. Like that is, that's a stone cold fact. If you listen to this, you're wondering, why does Luke watch Raw on a weekly basis if he doesn't like it? Because it's my job and I have to. But anyway, with that veiled threat against a reader, we are going to leave that issue of Games Master, and I'm looking forward to getting into issue 12. Although, regarding the comment in that letter about the cover artwork, I'm showing Luke the cover artwork for issue 12. Huh. It's not great, is it? What's it for? If you want to know what the artwork is, listener, and you don't want to go and search it out for yourself, we'll discuss it next week. (laughs) Hello! The show that never lets you down. Tonight, we'll be racing through Gotham City, getting trapped in a darkened lighthouse, and watching the famous struggle for glory in the challenge hot seat. Indeed, Games Master is the show that never lets you down. We've got three big challenges, uh, including one that's going to see us driving through Gotham City, which definitely means we're playing Batman Returns on the Mega CD today, and I bloody love that game. I just love Batman Returns. I, I jumped for joy when I was making my notes because I was thinking, we get to talk about Batman Returns, and we did miss that when it was top of the box office because it was out of season. It was, yeah, it came out during the summer, yeah. But anyway, it's time to get into our first challenge. What are we playing, Games Master? Our opening challenge of tonight's show is a special level of Pugsy on the Sega Mega Drive. The objective is simple, to light the enormous candle in the lighthouse. To do this is no easy task, and you must make use of anything you can lay your hands on. Only the fastest will succeed, so put your thinking caps on, and get ready for the strangest race of your life. Now, this is something we haven't had in a little while. It is a level that is specifically designed for Games Master. It's on Pugsy on the Mega Drive, which I'm assuming, I mean, I don't know much about the game. Uh, I'm just going to pass on to you for 
your games playing knowledge. But this feels like an Amiga game. Was this an Amiga game? It totally was an Amiga game. <laughs> yeah, it bloody feels like one. It started as an Amiga demo in 1990, so three years previously. Oh, wow. For a game called Pugs in Space. But this is not your traditional pug. This looks more like a space hopper in sneakers. It's a weird, weird character design. A bit like as I was saying about Bob uh, earlier. Like, it's a game that I've never played, but as soon as they mentioned Pugsy, or even when I saw that Pugsy was on this show, I knew what that character looked like, because I've seen that character around a lot, even though I've, I've never played this game. The demo from 1990 did, however, impress the management of Psygnosis, who contracted the demo team to make a game. However, the company, while contracting them, didn't really like where they then decided to take the game. So the demo team were let go, and they handed it over to Traveller's Tales, saying, can you develop a game but using this character from the demo that we've like paid for the likeness of? And whilst the demo team's original idea for the game was going to be much more open format and kind of uh, player-driven in what you do, a bit more like Little Big Planet, apparently, on the PlayStation, what Traveller's Tales produced was a fairly standard puzzle platformer. It's the sort of thing that Jazz Rignall hates with a passion, because he hates platformers, Luke. He hates runny, jumpy platformers. Although he might like this one a bit, though, because it's it's got puzzle elements to it, which he does like. And to me, the puzzle elements is what makes it stand out. And thankfully, it wasn't just to me, because while Jazz may have hated it, it did receive pretty good scores. Megatech gave it 90% and a Hyper Game Award, which I assume is big news in their magazine. Now, whilst there was an Amiga version and there was a Mega Drive port, there was a SNES version in development. However, it was cancelled at the last minute. It was almost complete. And as of when I checked, it still hasn't been found. In theory, it should be possible to find it and release it into yeah. the public domain. But as it stands, it hasn't. So if you know different, please let me know, because I wouldn't mind actually giving this a bit of a go and seeing the difference between the Mega Drive and the SNES version. Because I do like this kind of puzzle game. As for the Mega Drive version actually included an anti-piracy measure because cloned Mega Drive games they all used the same circuit board and so pretty much all the circuit boards contained an SRAM so that's like a battery backup for containing save data but Pugsy did not use save data it used passcodes it went old school so the game itself after the fifth level checked to see if there was an SRAM on the board and if there was it stopped and displayed a warning messages telling them they were playing a silly version of Pugsy. Oh, wow. Well, that's yeah. cool. It's a cool one, although while I know, you know, clone cartridges existed, they still exist today. You know, you can go to AliExpress and get a replica cartridge made with any ROM you want. Were people really cloning Pugsy? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, they're just desperate. Desperate to get their hands on this, like, a little Amiga-like game. It's like, oh, well... We know you've got a Mega Drive, little Luke, and we know you're very excited. Now the shop was all sold out of the genuine thing, so we got you a bootleg, and you're <laughs> thinking, ooh, bootleg Sonic 3, no Pugsy. <laughs> I mean, that's got to be more disappointing than Sonic Spinball. Hey, I will, I will go to bat for Sonic Spinball, and I always will. We'll get to that on a different date. So, the game is Pugsy, and to make this week's championship a bit more interesting and exciting, I'm going to throw it open to our audience. Who passes their chances at Pugsy? <laughs> Hey, oh, big cheer there for you. Now, what's your name? 
I'm Jim from Fetford. Jim from Fetford. Kelly from Cowley. Kelly from Cowley. Oh, it almost rhymes. So, Jim from Fetford, do you play a lot of computers? All the time. All the time? Never stop. Never stop. Oh, well, what about when you sleep? You must stop then. And what about you, Kelly? Same for me, all the time. Yeah, you play a lot. Yeah. So you're quite confident? Yep, yeah, but rushing. You are. Well, yeah. you're both competing for a place in tonight's final. And as Kelly's so confident, we're going to let her go first. You don't mind, do you, Jim? No, I'm gentle. Absolutely you are. Okay, you watch by the monitor here, Jim. And Kelly, you take your position in the hot seat. But anyway, this is an open challenge. Dex opens it out to the audience. We get a guy and a girl from the crowd. But there's this weird moment here. So, like, Dex is a professional. And th this shows off why he's a professional at this. This delightful young lady here as well. Guards, bring her down. Grapple her, bring her down. Come on. Grab hold of her. Let's have a big round of applause for both of our contestants. So security guard's up there and he picks out a guy and he picks out a girl. Now you've just heard the audio clip there and it will have sounded like there was an, an, an edit mistake because there's a huge gap of silence because the crowd don't react to them being taken down. And so Dex, being the professional, has to go, let's give them a hand, way! And then they, the audience reacts to it. But it's just so bizarre for them to be picked out. It's like, right, those two there, grab them. Utter silence. Just absolute crickets as they're being guided off before Dex gets some people to make some noise again. Now, once again, we're throwing this open to the crowd. If these two are actually random selections, I'm the Pope's left bollock. It's not oh, yeah. happening. No, these are definite plants. I have to commend Dexter and Neil for maintaining the illusion that they have never played this game or this level before, despite the fact both players clearly know what they're meant to do despite oh, having yeah. never played this level before. <laughs> yeah, we've seen this in Games Master all the time. If, you, if they ever pick someone out of the crowd, they're definitely a plant. And, yeah, and I don't mind it, uh, really. It's just, it's fun narrative, because it makes me, then as a viewer, if I'm a kid, particularly going like, well, I've got to get down to the Games Master Academy. I want to be picked to go out there and hopefully win a, a golden joystick. Now, our two competitors are Jim from Thetford and Kelly from Cowley. Hey, that one almost rhymes. It almost rhymes. And I do, I'm trying not to punch down on this one, but my first note on Jim was, comb your hair. <laughs> Part that fringe, because he says he plays computers all the time. He's on them all the time. He never stops, which Dex does kind of slap him down a bit, going, oh, I bet you stop when you sleep, don't you? <laughs> but I'm amazed this kid can play anything because his fringe is almost comical. It's, it's down to the eye line. Yeah. Meanwhile, Kelly has a look in her fashion that is timeless. Blue jeans, sneakers, slightly oversized white T-shirt. Oh, yeah. It's such a classic look. She's just a really nice on-screen presence, unlike Jim. And considering how much Jim almost balls this up, I was put... <laughs> I was pulling for Kelly to win. Kelly, though, is not just dressed to impress. She's confident that she's going to crush him. With me in the commentary box this week is Neil West of Mega Magazine. Hello, Dexter. All right, mate. So, uh, Pugsy, it's a pretty tough first challenge, really, isn't it? It is. Pugsy's a tough platformer at the best of times. It's very fast, very quick. But this level is especially difficult because it's been especially designed for Games Master yeah. Show. No one's seen it before ever, not even the contestants. So it's going to be very difficult for them, especially if they haven't seen the game before. Well, Neil West from Mega is in the booth, and he calls this tough because this is an especially designed level for the game. No one has ever played it before. These two people have never seen hide nor hair of it. They've never played this game before, Ash. They, this will be the very first time they're getting their hands on this. Definitely never played it before. 
no. in the green room no. 10 minutes ago. I mean, Kelly is up first and she knows exactly what to do. So in order to complete this level, you go up the ramp and you grab some shoes. That helps you run quicker. Then you run up the other side, you grab a pipe, you go across, you fix the pipe. Uh, the sort of mechanism. Then you go back down, you get a coin, which is like these little orange skull things. You put a coin in the meter and then you can go back over to the pipe that you'd fixed because now there's a flame there. It's a pilot light. Yeah, but it, it's, the flame's only going to be there for a little while. So you've got to light the candle quickly, get the candle back over and then light the enormous candle that is in the middle. And it is a very big candle because you've actually got to jump and throw it up. The problem that Kelly has is that she hasn't quite mastered the throwing control. So she does fine at the start. She gets the shoes, she gets the pipe, she gets the coin. In fact, she gets two coins into the machine. But then when she gets the candle over to the flame, she can't light it. So then it goes out. So she's got to do the coin thing again. Then she eventually does get the candle lit to take it over to the big candle, but she can't, she absolutely lobs it. She throws it all the way across the screen and it falls all the way down. So she's got to go and get it all that. When she throws it and it falls, she's got one minute on the clock. It actually would have been a pretty decent time. By the time that she bungles it and goes and gets it back, it's one minute 26. She loses nearly half a minute trying to redo that. It's, it's such a shame for her. Pugsy may have running shoes on, but he is not a swift mover. No, no, because no. he's a slant. You basically got to keep jumping up the slants because if you were to walk up it, you'd be going slow as molasses. Also, Mr. West. Uh, is this the shoe comment? Ooh. <laughs> as my friend Adam once said, it's aged like a fine murder. I can't even bring myself to repeat it. Can you just drop the clip in? The first thing she's got to do is try and grab that box of shoes. A new pair of shoes. Kelly's the girl. She should go instinctively towards the new pair of shoes. She's got them on. I mean, bugger me, even in 1993, that wasn't a great comment. It, no. It, it landed with a thunk as well. <laughs> I, I kind of almost want to believe that he may have regretted saying it afterwards. But, you yeah. know, one take, and they definitely didn't ever actually do any looping on commentary, as far as I can tell. But anyway, yeah, 1 minute 26 for Kelly. They say it's not a bad time, but I think it's pretty clear from this that Jim is going to, to win, particularly as well, because although he's never played this game before, Ash, or never played this level, he has now seen Kelly play it for the first time. So now he can definitely know what to do. And you know what? It's amazing, given, as we've established, Neither of them have ever played this game before or this level. He immediately knows that a decent way to make Pugsy move quicker before you get the shoes is to jump boost. Yes. You jump boost up the ramp, he gets the shoes. Fringe or not, he is making great time and he doesn't make any of the mistakes that Kelly made. And no. I don't think that's because he saw her make the mistakes. It's just because he's got this level down to a fine art, which is amazing because he's never played it before. Yeah, and it's also amazing because, I mean, he's never played this game before, so like he's not going to know this thing. But he's also just watched Kelly play the level, right? And uh, he absolutely bosses through this. He lights the candle uh, with 58 seconds on the clock. So he's well beaten uh, Kelly's time because, you know, she had like a 1 minute 26 on the clock, right? So he's absolutely well beaten it. And he sits there and he's like, well, hey, I've been it. Sits back in his seat. Oh, wonderful. But that's not the end of the level, is it, Ash? That's not the end of the challenge. No, you light the candle, then you have to exit through the door on the left of the level. Kelly knew that, despite mm -hmm. having never played the game before or the level before. Jim either didn't know that or stopped watching Kelly before she did that bit because he sat there going, oh, done. Oh, I've done it. And he, he is like 
proper ah oh, yeah bask in my glory i've i've won this challenge and you have got dex and neil west screaming at this lad that he hasn't finished come on jim he's there run, run for the exit run They are losing their shit at him. <laughs> and the best bit is, is when Jim realises not only did he not exit the level, but he is now in very, very serious danger of losing the challenge by being a chump. Mm -hmm. You very clearly see him mouth, oh shit. Oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> it's a proper like, oh shit, I haven't, I'm not done yet. So... 58 seconds was the time it took him to actually light the enormous candle. He exits the level at 1 minute 16. There was nearly 20 seconds of him just sat there not doing anything. Neil does try and cover for him and maintain the illusion of going, well, you know, that's what you get when you've never played the level before. <laughs> well, Jim didn't know what he was doing. Total confusion. Total confusion. But then that's what you get with playing a game you've never seen before. Shut up, Neil. You're overselling it, man. Um, yeah, I'll talk to Kelly first. Kelly, you didn't make it, unfortunately, Kelly. Not quite, no. Bit more practice, I'd have had him. Well, it's the first time anyone's seen the game. You had a bit of trouble getting your shoes on, didn't I you? I did, yeah. Oh, well. What about you then, Jim? Pleased? Got the Nike as an outrunner. You did. You ran very fast. Well done. It means you're through to the final. Now, you can tell that we're in a different era of this show now because Dexter Fletcher does not bring this up at all in the post-match. I would have thought for sure they would have mentioned it. And I guarantee Dominic Diamond would have. And that is all Dominic Diamond would have wanted. to. If he couldn't think of a dick joke, he would have just gone there being like, what were you playing at? Why did it take you so long to realise? Now, we tried to avoid comparing the two. It's something that we've done by choice. But yes, Dominic Diamond would have just gone straight up to him and like, what were you doing? I need yeah. to talk to him. I need to berate him. Then he'd have turned to Kelly and just gone, what was he doing? Mm -hmm. Because it just doesn't make any sense. And while I get that Dex is a much more positive presence because he is in light entertainment mode, I'm a little sad they didn't bring it up at all. Yeah, uh, he is so lucky. He is so fortunate that they do not pick on him for this. And they just breeze past it because it's all I want to talk to him about. And they're just like, you know, Kelly's like, oh, I couldn't get the shoes on. Jim's like, hey, I just got the Nike Airs and I outrun her. I was like, you're nearly smegging, didn't mate? Because you were stood still for nearly 20 seconds. Kelly does also say that she'd have got it with a bit more practice. And Dex is quick <laughs> to jump in, reminding everyone that, of course, they'd never played this before. <laughs> but anyway, I thought it was a fun opening challenge because uh, particularly for Jim's balls up, uh, I thought that Kelly was good fun. It's a fun little challenge anyway. It's a fun level. I really enjoyed this opener. First time I watched it, I didn't. Oh, really? Second time I watched it when I was making notes and I was making notes about the balls up and just like the, the, the fact that you almost cocked it. I enjoyed it even more because also part of me was thinking, I cannot wait to talk about this. <laughs> At that exact moment. The first time I watched this was actually today. I, was, I dropped my car off for a service and because of the you know, pandemic and everything, I wasn't allowed to wait there. And they basically told me, and bearing in mind, like the service station that I had to take it to was 40 minutes away, a 40 minute drive away. And they said that you can't wait here. And if you drop it off at quarter to nine, it'll be done between now and half past five. I'm like, cool. 
well, it's going to cost me 45 quid to get a taxi home. So they said that we'll try and fast track it so you don't have to wait around too long. So I had to go and sit on a public bench in the town center, freezing my tits off because it's early January and it's in freezing. And I had a little, a little coffee on me and I watched this and I must have looked like such a weirdo because I'm sat there, my hood's up because I'm trying to stay warm, my little coffee, and I bust a gut laughing at this lad just sat there and Neil West and Dex screaming at him. And all the while as I was laughing, was thinking, God, I cannot wait to record this later without <laughs> It's going to be hilarious. The big top looks all set to close as the bad guys move in. It's up to Aero the Acrobat to spin jump, become a batty cannonball and a unicyclist to save the circus from ruin. Aero journeys through various levels, trying to locate star blocks, which he then jumps on to make them disappear. Sounds simple, well, funny enough, it actually is. Aero the Acrobat's got great graphics, great sound. It's also got very, very slick gameplay. So why don't I like it? Well, to be honest, I like to see something a little bit different with my platform games. This game is vibrant, it's colorful, it's funny, and it looks set to be one of the top platformers on the SNES this year. Into the review zone, we've got Jeremy Doldry, games expert, Jazz Rignall from Mean Machine Sega, and Dave Perry from Megatech, first looking at Aero the Acrobat on the Super Nintendo. Yeah, I mean, guess what? It's a platformer, and they're not overly fond of it. Well, I, I say they're not. Jeremy Doldry is not overly fond of it. Um, but like, you know, Dave, Dave Perry's more positive about it. Call it easy. I mean, he says it's one of the top platformers for the SNES this year. I did have a specific note about that comment. Uh, the comment being, you do realise that Mario All-Stars is also right. out yeah, this yeah. year. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, he wasn't the only one to like it. EGM over in America gave it 8.3 out of 10. EGM also awarded Aero the Acrobat the Best New Character of 1993 award. Well, that's a big claim. That's a, that's a pretty bold one, actually, because there was a whole bunch of characters that came out in 93. Yeah, and Ultimate Gaming Magazine gave both the Mega Drive and the SNES versions 8 out of 10. And as we've discussed, 80% review scores now are not considered great, but back then, 80% was still definitely on my radar. Like, I didn't oh, start totally. to question whether I wanted to play a game until it dropped below 70. Yeah, and bearing in mind as well, like, you just heard that review then. It's Jeremy Doldry saying that it sounds simple, and that's because it is. You've then got Jazz Rignall, who unsurprisingly doesn't like it, and he's like, I want something different. This is like every other platformer that's out there. It's only Dave Perry that's positive. This gets 86%. That's a high recommendation for me. That's a... That's a I, I would want to play that game. Like, that is a recommend. You should go out and buy this game if you have a Super Nintendo. I like to think at this point that whoever was in charge of assigning journalists for the Review Zone hated Jazz Rignall because <laughs> they keep giving him games they know he won't like. And they mostly seem to ignore the fact that he doesn't like them. <laughs> so they are purely doing it to punish him. Why not just put him on other stuff? It doesn't have to be good games. Just stop giving him platformers it doesn't make sense unless it's a unique platformer he might like pugsy for all we know but aero the acrobat it's nothing original it is a very good looking game and the character design clearly did catch some people's imagination because saban entertainment were going to produce a spin-off cartoon no way Unfortunately for Aero the Acrobat, something far more economical came onto their production slate as Aero the Acrobat was cancelled in favour of Mighty Morphing Power Rangers.
yeah, I mean, I would highly recommend everyone watch that uh, Toys That Made Us episode about uh, Power Rangers because, yeah, Saban were basically just like, wow, this show's cheap as f*** to make and it's making us a lot of money. Let's just keep on going with it. Have you got more of it, Japan? We'd like some more of it, please. Now, there was a sequel to Aero the Acrobat and there was a plan for Aero the Acrobat 3D to be released on the PlayStation, which would complete the trilogy. This didn't happen because of Crash Bandicoot. Oh, really? But there was a time when Aero the Acrobat was going to be the official mascot character of the Sony PlayStation. Wow. Man, that's crazy. But whether they were original games or not, the first two games did sell gangbusters. They did really well. And you can understand why. They do look great. It does look fun. The music is great. In fact, one of the few negatives of the Mega Drive version is the fact the music isn't as good in it. But in addition to the SNES and the Mega Drive, Luke, guess what else was due to have a version of it? Was it the Atari Jaguar? Correct. Guess what happened to it? It did not come out. It did not come out. (laughs) I am now watching for this whenever I make my notes. I'm like, was there an abandoned Jaguar port? Because it's just kind of hilarious at this point. It's like Sideshow Bob stepping on the rakes. It just <laughs> keeps happening. Time for a spot of light gun shooting action in Lethal Enforcers. The bank's been robbed and they're holding hostages, so before you go blowing away everything in sight, remember, there's no points for killing innocent bystanders. The arcade conversion doesn't come off very well at all. Lots of digitised pictures, which don't really serve any function at all. In the game is slow, boring and very uneventful. The graphics just don't wash. You've got these fuzzy sprites rushing around the screen with which you shoot with your blue plastic gun. I'm sorry, but I gave up that sort of thing when I was about three years old. With a light gun, I suppose Lethal Forces might be a more enjoyable proposition, but playing it with a joypad is virtually impossible. And it's sad because there are a lot of mega CDs being sold up there, and it seems that for every one decent game, there's four or five like this. Well, maybe Jazz will like our next game instead, because this isn't a platformer. This is Lethal Enforcers on the Mega CD. Sadly, no one really likes this one because, man, this looks bad. Like, this is a Mega CD game, and these digitized graphics look really, really pants. It didn't look that much better in the arcade. It was early digitized games. It was halfway between an American Lasers and your more traditional Operation Wolf style game. It was originally an arcade game. It was developed by Konami. It came out in 1992. It was caught up in the whole controversy that came about with digitized games, with Mortal Kombat and stuff. It was brought up in Congress as one of the games that was exhibiting violence. In fact, in the Japanese version, there was even extra dialogue included like die pigs die being uttered at the policeman yeah it was pretty hefty and it was one of the games pulled from toys r us amongst that whole 1993 congressional hearings on video games so it yeah it wasn't without its own controversies unfortunately much like night trap that didn't mean it was actually good no exactly And it's the point that Dave makes in this, really, which is that, like, if you've got the light gun, then, yeah, it it, it might be okay. But if you've just got a joypad, it's it's basically unplayable. It did go on to be released for the Sony PlayStation as part of a double pack with its sequel. And guess what else was due to get a version? (laughs) Was it the Atari Jaguar? No, it was the Sega Saturn. But it also got cancelled. It never got released. For me, the the best thing about this review, and and I think it's the line that... 100% stands the test of time, and I think is the most damning phrase that can be uttered about the Mega CD, which is by Dave Perry, and it closes off this review, where he says, for every good Mega CD game, there's four or five that are just like this. And that is so true of the Mega CD. It is a console that has got some banging games on it. I mean, I know that this, this show did not like Sonic CD, but Sonic CD is a great game. 
and it's got some absolute stonkers on there, but it's also got a truckload of games. Like the bad really outweighs the good on the Mega CD. And very few of the good games that come to my mind are original games. Oh yeah, exactly. It's Sonic CD. Like, you know, that is like, probably that is the best game that's on the system. And it is, as they, you know, point out, it's a lot like the other Sonic games. It's just got shinier graphics and a better soundtrack. Ariana the Sorceress has been kidnapped by the Wicked Ashra. So put your skates on and leap fly, kick and punch your way across three continents to get her back. What Skyblazer does, it does very well. It just doesn't do an awful lot. This is a very standard platform shooting on. The character races along, grabs off the side of platforms, jumps, kills things. There's nothing new here, but I must admit, I enjoyed it. It's another production line platform game. Great graphics, great sound. You know all the stuff that I usually say, and you know what I'm going to say next. How about something different? And lastly in the review zone, we've got Skyblazer for the Stairs, which I've never heard of or seen before. This is a bit of a sleeper game. It was released by Sony ImageSoft. Um, it involves Sky, the Skyblazer, searching for Ashura, the Lord of War, who's kidnapped the sorceress Ariana. Although in Japan, the sorceress was called Vishnu. Really now? Japan just loves using words that can be difficult to use in other countries. <laughs> and that was one of them. Also outside Japan, the blood was removed from the game. And as we see it here, it's green, which I guess means they're Vulcans, possibly. Yeah. Like a lot of things that fly under the radar, it has gained a bit of a cult following. And it's easy to see why, because it looks fun. It looks pretty good. It looks quite shiny. They used Mode 7 to full effect for the bosses. The music was really, really good and fit the action on screen well. But it was too short. A lot of the time, just as the levels really got going, they'd stop. So as you were getting into the flow of the game, suddenly it was the end of the level. And you stop and you start, and it ruins the build-up on that. Dave's comments that he's got in the review zone, um, I'm going to put over Dave a little bit here, because you got Jazz, who was just like, it's nothing new, I want something different. Jeremy Daldry saying, you know, what it does well, you know, it does it very well, but that's not a lot. But Dave is the voice of positivity here. The game gets 75%, and I feel like a lot of that comes from Dave's comments, which is just that, yeah, you know what, it is nothing new but I had fun playing it. And that's the point that I think that Jazz misses out on a lot, which is that like, yeah, some of, a lot of these platforming games are the same game, but if you enjoy playing it, then that's okay. I mean, he doesn't just say he wants something different. He sings it. He sings it, in fact. I want something different. No matter how good your fave game is, wouldn't it be good if you could go a bit further? Wouldn't it be great if you could get totally interactive and play more than one game at once? Currently in development is a new PC file saving and recognition system which will allow you to do just that. The system allows you to save your game as data files, which you can then load into another program, which allows you to run two games side by side. Um, take, for example, Magic Carpet, the game Magic Carpet. You could be flying along on what is like a flight sim carpet and um, you're shooting all these monsters that are coming at you from the sea and everything. And all of a sudden you're getting bored, you've been playing it for a couple of hours. And so just by dipping the carpet towards the sea, you suddenly enter a completely different game called Creation, which is set under the sea. And as long as that game is stored on your hard drive, there's no need to reload the game or anything. The computer instantly recognizes the instruction and puts you straight into the new game. This could become really big. We could have some very surreal games playing experiences with this, I think. Well, one minute you could be wandering through the castle of Thodar or something with your dragon slaying sword, and you could go through the door and find yourself in Nigel Manson's Grand Prix car or something, shooting around a circuit, crash into the barrier, and all of a sudden you're in a MiG-29 over Iran or somewhere. I mean, the whole 
the whole idea of, of just loading one game, playing one game, could really change. It, it could be, rather than having your favorite dinner, you could actually have a whole feast. Wow. How interactive do you want to get? Are we going to see these two guys battling out for Street Fighter 2000? Let's hope so. Sounds like a goodie. Now, this is an interesting feature. This is a feature where Dave Perry claims that there's this thing that's in development. And that thing that's in development is ROM hacking. And what he essentially describes is that you can play two games at once or even multiple games at once. You'll be playing uh, Magic Carpet and then you crash into the ocean and then your computer will load a save file from creation if you've also got that game and a save file of it and it is also installed onto your hard drive. Uh, this could be really big. You could be switching from Dragon's Lair to Nigel Mansell's Racing. Or, you know, it's, it's rather than having your favorite meal, it's having a whole feast. This does become a thing. As I said, it's ROM hacking. I've, I've, I've watched a lot of like ROM hacks over the years where you basically switch between games if you trigger something. Uh, I watched a really, really fascinating one. Uh, Slopes Game Room did a stream of it uh, last year, which is you play all three of the Mega Drive Sonic the Hedgehogs at the same time, and the game switches between the three games every time you collect a ring. So you think about how often you collect rings. You are just switching between the... And it, it literally is just like, bum, 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 switch between the games. That's kind of what Dave is talking about here, but that's not what he's talking about. No, I mean, I'll be honest. I'd not thought of the ROM hacking connection because when I saw this feature, my first note was a single word. And I'm not even going to say it because I'm worried we're already going to go over our quota for censorship <laughs> noises. What I saw this as was an equivalent to things like virtual machines. So the idea of a virtual machine, if you're not familiar with it, is you have one kind of physical hardware computer and then inside it running kind of almost as a form of emulation, but using the hardware's resources, a number of other machines. So its most common use is really on servers. So mm. you don't have a physical box for all five of your servers, you have one beefy box and then the five are running within there. And it means they're all running at the same time, they're sharing resources and you can flip between them pretty easily if you've got the management client. So I kind of saw that as being this. But the most important thing is this never happened. I want someone to come and point me at an article that talks about this as something being actually developed because... I've run around the internet, I've Googled, I've searched, I've gone through magazines looking for something that could be this. The problem is they never mention a product or a code name or anything like that. So I'm searching very vague terms, but based on the lack of evidence and based on the fact that this just sounds like bollocks, I'm going to assume that this is literally a fluff piece. This is pure fantasy. This is like a rumor section in a magazine. I feel that they went to Dave Perry and said, this is an idea. Can you talk about it as if it's being made? I can't find the evidence. I wish I could, because if there was evidence of this being developed, it would be an entire podcast on its own, that we would do a special on what the hell happened to this. I'm going to push you one further. I think Dave Perry just made it up. They were just like, Dave, what's coming out at the moment? What's being worked on? He was like, oh, I've heard of this thing. Maybe, and, and you know, maybe he didn't make it up, but maybe someone said to him at one point, oh, there's this thing that someone is working on. And Dave's like, cool. And so then when Dave's like, "Have you? Have, can you think of a feature for this week's show or this episode? And he's like, yeah, I actually heard of this thing that a friend of mine told me about where you're going to be able to switch between games. Now, whilst other than ROM hacking, this never really happened, 
it now kind of has. Not in the way that Dave explains it here, but with the latest generation of consoles, particularly on the Xbox, you've got quick resume. It's not just like where you put your console to sleep, you wake it back up and oh boom, the game is still there. You can leave a game, open up another game, and it saves exactly where you are. Not like a save game, but it kind of pauses the game. Mm. And then you can tap the Xbox button, go to that game, it will quick resume. Five to ten seconds later, you're back in the game. So you can flip between Rock Band and Assassin's Creed and maybe then go to No Man's Sky. I've tried it purely to see if it works. And the answer is it does. Do I see it as being practical? Not really. Not for the way it's being demonstrated in this feature. Mm. Maybe it's just because I'm getting old, Luke, but I don't know why I'd want to go from Dragon's Lair to Nigel Mansell to whatever. I struggle going from playing Spider-Man on the PlayStation to playing Assassin's Creed on the Xbox because technically they're sneaky, jumpy games, but the controls are slightly different. Uh, my head cannot cope with that change at my age. <laughs> I can't do it. Uh, maybe this is me showing my age as well, but I just got Tony Hawk's uh, 1 and 2 on uh, the PlayStation. I bought it as part of the January sales. And yeah, do you know what? If I plug that game in and I start playing it, that's the game I want to be playing. Like, I don't need that to switch on over to Doom. I'm actually just quite happy to just play Tony Hawk. There is one bit of this feature that is mildly prophetic, where they talk about Mario and Sonic facing down in Street Fighter 3000 because it's not Street Fighter 3000, but if it's Smash Brothers or Mm -hmm. Mario and Sonic at the Olympics, those characters... If you'd gone to any of us in 1993 and gone, nah, for real... They're going to appear in a game with each other. Yeah. Like, no, for real, you're going to be able to play Sonic games on uh, the latest Nintendo console. Like, it would have absolutely blown your mind. So that is the one accurate bit out of this feature. But other than that, unless someone can give me some evidence otherwise, this feature is bullshit. (gasps) (laughs) But anyway, that's enough of that feature. We've got a celebrity challenge that we need to get into. What are we playing, Games Master? I've lined up a rather amusing little contest for our celebrity challenge this week, an arcade game, going by the unusual name of Monkey Mole Panic. Our contestants must knock the stuffing out of these defenseless little creatures by bashing the illuminated panels on the machine. The highest scoring rodent killer wins. What could be better fun, eh? So we are playing Monkey Mole Panic, which is one of those arcade games. It's whack-a-mole, basically, but turned into a game. I did some research on this game, and you know the most detailed description I could find of it online was, it's whack-a-mole, but as a video game. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you would just see this uh, probably just in regular supermarkets and stuff uh, over in Japan as just sort of like a little curio thing. Because like, you know, when I was over there last year, I say last year, two years ago now, um, that drum machine game, like that is just sort of like all over Japan. It's just like a little curio that's just propped up in shops where you wouldn't expect to see it. It's not in arcades. It is in arcades, but it's also just you're walking down a road. Look, there's a shop over there and it's got that drum machine game. And that's basically what you would see here with Monkey Mole Panic, I would imagine. It was definitely a game aimed at kids. I mean, the other bit of info I did find out is the arcade machine was actually smaller than average. It was only about four and a half to five feet tall rather than the traditional kind of six foot and then a bit. I remember playing this at a holiday park. Oh, wow, really? In, I think, probably the late 90s. So it might even be like, I don't know, Monkey Mole Panic 2 because it was a Taito game and they'd have probably done a couple of sequels with minimal changes. Mm -hmm. it's a fun enough game 
just like Whack-A-Mole, is a fun enough game. They didn't try and reinvent the wheel, they just jazzed it up a bit. And I yeah. don't mean gave it a mullet. <laughs> so, please welcome the girl the word's all about, Danny Bear, and her opponent, James Hell from Dartford. Yes! How you doing? All right? Okay, quiet. Shut up, shut up. Let's talk to Danny. Okay, um, you don't strike me as much as a game player. Uh, I'm surprised that, Dex. Well, I don't know, you just don't look like someone who's got a computer at home. Um, I can get through game and Pac-Man. Game and Pac-Man? Yeah, that's about it. So how are you going to ditch it all then? I'll be all right. You want to win a choice to go? Yeah, I want that golden choice. You want to win a choice to go? Yeah, I want that golden choice. You can't go home without it. Right, good stuff. I can remember everything that this person was on. It's Danny Bear. Bloody hell, that's a name I've not thought of in a while. I think both of us went full on Ben Kenobi with this. Of just like, that's a name I've not heard in a long time. Absolutely, it is. Danny Bear, Big Breakfast, The Word. I, 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 she did do I'm a Celeb, and I think she's done Celebrity uh, Come Dine With Me as well. If memory serves, because she was a Maxim girl. She was on Maxim a lot, like in the sort of late 90s and the early 2000s. But I think she went to the States and became sort of a presenter over there, right? She could basically left the UK. Let's talk a little bit about the story of Danny Bear, because do you know what surprised me the most about seeing her on this show? Was finding out that at the time she was appearing here, she was like 18 years old. Yeah. Yeah, I remember her from the word. I remember from appearing on The Big Breakfast and also as I got a bit older, seeing the Maxim photos and whatnot. She also holds the somewhat dubious honour of being, I think, one of the first wags. That's right, yeah. Because she was dating Ryan Giggs when Ryan Giggs was at Man United. Yeah. And in fact, they broke up pretty much because of the football, because Ferguson, the manager of Man United, he was quite overbearing. He didn't like the fact that Danny was in London, Ryan was in Manchester, and there was travelling backwards and forwards. She went on to other careers. She did briefly present uh, Saturday morning television on the BBC, that gig ended when she gave a slightly racing interview where she talked about having sex in an NPC car park, and that <laughs> apparently didn't match up with the image that the BBC were hoping for from their Saturday morning presenters. She did end up in a number of other relationships. She spent some time in America and Australia, but she is firmly out of showbiz now. She retrained as a real estate agent, but as you pointed out, she did appear on I'm a Celebrity. She was the second person to be voted out by the public on day 12. And she also appeared on a celebrity episode of Come Dine With Me alongside EastEnders actress Layla Morse, DJ Dane Bowers and Bobby Davro. Bloody hell, that's, that's a who's who of who gives a f***. She came last in the competition. However, this was due to ill health as she was unable to cook a recipe and had to ask her brother to prepare and serve the food. That's unfortunate. That is unfortunate. But I did, while researching this, read an interview with her from recently where she talks about her life, about things that worked, things that didn't work, stuff with Ryan Giggs, and actually seems to be doing really well now and actually quite happy not being a celebrity. Yeah. And I was going to say, like, she survived being a teen celebrity in the 90s as well, which was a wild ass time if you were in the entertainment industry in the 1990s. They, the 80s holdover were held large in the 90s. And you hear the stories of if you're in the music industry, in football, in TV, film or whatever, it was a party central type thing. And yeah, I'd imagine that you probably would be, you know, sort of 
grateful to not, not only made it out, but also see the back of it in some cases. And it, it's so interesting that you said that she was 18 at this point, because she is on the show. She is fully formed already as a TV personality. And that is an incredible achievement because you would have thought, you know, it takes people a little while to get to that point. But no, here she is at 18, fully formed. She is ready to be presenter. And she's great in this challenge. I will just say this is not her only run in with video games because she voiced the computer, also called Danny, in the game Privateer 2. Oh, did she really? Yeah, that was literally on her Wikipedia page or something. And I just thought, oh, that's pretty interesting. She does say that she is a gamer in the interview with Dex and says that, you know, she can certainly get her way through Pac-Man and she is here to win this golden joystick. She's also playing a lad called James, uh, who has played this before and he said he's feeling confident with it. Now, Dex really puts his foot in his mouth at the start of this interview because he just goes to Danny of like, oh, you don't strike me as a games player. And she almost just folds her arms and goes, and why is that, Dex? I know, right? And he gets proper schoolboy shy. She has his number. She has him booked. We mentioned hot pink pants earlier. She is wearing a quite modest black shirt, but hot pink trousers. Oh, yeah. I tell you what, it's actually a timeless look. I can imagine people wearing that today, but I doubt any of them would carry it off as well as her. She wears it with confidence. James, meanwhile, is dressed just like a teenager. and. While not punching down, these two are the same age. Danny looks like a fully formed celebrity, like someone that already knows how to hit her marks and perform. James looks like a greasy, slightly creepy teenager. And I'm sure he's a lovely guy, and I'm sure he's grown up and done wonderful things, but he kind of made my skin crawl in this challenge. (laughs) Okay, if you want to see Danny Bear and James Hell bashing some moles, stay with us until after the break. Thunderbirds videos are now twice as long and cost less, too. Well, how do you like that? I like it very much, Jeff. The original TV series on video. It's bumper value. Sega TV interview spots. Hey, Damon Hill, here's a teaser. The clutch pedal is it left, right, or in the middle? Ha! You've got to be faster than that to win a Sonic Chaos! To be this quick, take Sega! Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot... We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. 
Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most. But if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com In the future, you have to defrost a cop to put a criminal on ice. Sylvester Stallone is John Spartan, the demolition man. The toughest cop in the 21st century. But Wesley Snipes is cold-blooded Simon Phoenix. Silence is free! Now fry like a chicken, chicken. But Demolition Man always keeps his cool. Hey, you didn't say Simon says. The future isn't big enough for the both of them. Demolition Man figures a bowler jet each sold separately, new from Mattel. Here, in the darkest recesses of this special box of Kellogg's Rice Krispies, we find those giants of another age, the dinosaurs. And here's one now, Tyrannosaurus Stickiness, remarkable. Five great stickers in every special pack. Danny Bear and James Howell bashing it out on Monkey Mole Panic. With me in the commentary box, I've got Frank O'Connor of Total Magazine. Pleased to be here. How are you doing? Not bad. Good. So, Monkey Mole Panic. Sounds a bit strange. What's it all about? It's fairly simple, really. It's a test of speed and reflex. You have to hit as many moles as you can in the time allotted. And the person who hits the most moles scores the most points and wins the game. Right. Sounds fairly straightforward and fairly simple. So, you've got to bash as many moles as you can to score as many points as you possibly can. Coming out of the ad break, we've got Frank O'Connor from Super Action in the booth who runs down the rules. If you played Whack-A-Mole, Dems the rules. Although it is quite fun because like, there are certain moles that you've got to hit multiple times because they've got helmets or you know, it's a plank of wood or something. And so there's kind of like some, some fun aspects to this. Uh, James is up first and he doesn't get some of the higher point ones. He has 480 points by the end of round one uh, with no bonus. He gets some of the higher point earners uh, in round two to get up to 1390. Uh, and then like the Counter-Strike, the molds like in the real tough helmets come up at the end. He ends his score with 1920, which Frank doesn't think is going to be enough. And it's not because Danny has got one simple tactic for this, which is smack everything in sight. Like it is just smack the pads as hard as you can and as fast as you can. And she does way better at this game. She does do way better. Now, one thing I noticed immediately with James when he started is he did seem to be going for the tactic of, I'm just going to try hit all of the buttons as quickly as possible, regardless of whether there's a mole there or not. Because you can see the hits registering on empty mole hills yeah, a lot exactly, of the time. Yeah. There's like a little thing that comes up saying like, you've hit this and there's nothing there. Danny is very quick. She also has a tactic, which she discusses in the post-match. But she does actually seem to be paying attention to what's on the screen a lot of the time. It's worth pointing out that not only do the moles appear on screen, but also the lights flash up yes. on the control pad. 
it's not always obvious in the game because we're not seeing their hands a lot, but that acts as an extra visual cue as well. But she has pretty much obliterated him by the end of like the second round. And in fact, she scores more than double what he yeah. does. She gets the bonus points. She gets the multipliers. He gets his ass handed to him on a plate. Yeah, I, I said then, like he had 480 points at the end of round one. Danny had 1,620 points at the end of round one. Like she's, she basically had already won it. As soon as round two starts, she's already passed him. And you got Dex and, and Frank talked about like, yep, nope, she has definitely won now. She passes uh, like 3,000 points by the end of round two. And then she is just like hammering everything in sight, has uh, 4,280 points by the end of this. An absolute domination. Nice one, Danny, what can I say? I've won. Marvellous performance. I told you I won't go home without that golden choice. You were slapping like a loony. <laughs> but there's a, you know, you can do it in a certain way. You can put your hands flat and you get two. It's the price of one. Right, there's the thing. skills, yeah, there's yeah. the tactics. That's what, <laughs> like. what happened to you? You let her win. Yeah, just let her win. Yeah, just right. Her. Oh yeah, what was that then? He's so, dreaming. Just, just let it win. You just let it win. Yeah. So do you think it went for a first date? Not bad, eh? No, all right. <laughs> and in the post-match, James says he let her win, which Danny <laughs> immediately calls bullshit on. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And then Dex says, well, how do you think it went for a first date? And I threw up in my mouth a bit. I was just like, <laughs> oh, no. But you know what? At the beginning of this challenge, Danny said she wanted that joystick. She was going home with it. And here comes Slab Man Beef up the stairs with the joystick. She takes it and she is very, very happy. I, I did get a little bit of a giggle out of Dex just going, You can touch him if you like. You can touch him if you like. He's a beefy lad. He's a very <laughs> beefy lad. Hello and welcome to my clinic for the unfortunate. Who's the first young minds to warrant my attention? How do I get past the wall at the start of the second garden level? One more fun, the Amiga. It's easy when you know how. Change into a gas straight away and float directly up. You'll reach a map. Now float right until you reach a free liquid transformation and bonus star. Transform into a liquid, fall down, and you'll find yourself on the other side of the wall. All right, thanks. Our first kid in the consultation zone can't get over the first wall on the second guardal level on Morph on the Amiga, basically turn into a gas and float over it. Simple enough. It's a fairly simple tip. It's uh, it's an interesting little game. It's a SNES game as well as an Amiga game. On the Amiga, it was known as Morph. On the SNES, can you guess what it was called? Uh, Super Morph. Correct. Oh, yes, nailed it. I'll be honest, I, I'd heard of this game, but when he said Morph, I thought of Tony Hart's mate. And I was like, did Tony Hart's mate have a game on the Amiga that I didn't know about? I was very disappointed that it wasn't. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of a fun little puzzle game as you go between liquid, gas, and solid and stuff like that. It does actually have a plot, which apparently is something to do with a kid that knows a scientist. The machine the scientist's working on goes wrong, but gives the kids power to change between these different forms, and he has to recover all the bits of the machinery to fix it so he can, you know, not become a morphing blob, really. Mm. In addition to the Amiga version, there was a SNES version, there was a PC port, there was also a Mega Drive, and nothing for the Atari Jaguar. Oh, that's a shame. Gabe Master, I'm a bit crap on rock and roll racing on the SNES. Can you help me? It's actually quite possible to jump over the corners, start the car on the outside of the track, then swing in and jump just before the apex of the turn. You will cut the corner and gain a place or two. Excellent. Bye. <laughs> Bye. 
stupid. Here we go. It's back on under consultation one more time. It's rock and fucking roll fucking racing. I have now talked about this game so much over the past few months because I was here and under consultation where we talked a lot about it. Even after the edit, there was a lot in there. And then would you, Adam and Eve, I go and appear on the Hardcore Gaming 101 podcast and one of the games I'm talking about, it's rock and roll racing again. Such a great game though, mate. And a great pick and a very good episode as well. But anyway, this is a decent little tip, actually, which is how to cut corners, which is, you know, you take it from uh, an outside line, weave your way in, you can hit the jump button, jump over the corners, and you might get yourself a couple of places there. Decent little tip, that. Yeah, it, it's something that you can pull off in a number of different games. Uh, this is probably the most high-risk one, because if you mess it up, uh, the floor is lava, Luke, or some mm -hmm. other form of perilous substance, and you will die. But it is also a good way to get to the head of the pack very quickly. Unfortunately for rock and roll racing, by being at the head of the pack, it also means you have a big old bullseye on your bumper and you will be everyone's target. Games Master, is there a level select for Wolfchild on the Master System? Enter as a password J8TPR. This will give you access to the first five levels. Oh, thanks. And our final gamer wants a level select on Wolfchild for the Master System and you get, she gets it, it's JSTPR, but... The most interesting thing of note here is that this lass has been on Games Master before, in the consultation zone in this series. What was she asking about on that one? Games Master, can I get lots of blood on Mortal Kombat for the Mega Drive, please? She was in the very first episode. She was the Abacab girl in episode one of series three for Mortal Kombat. See, Mortal Kombat makes sense as a game to ask for tips for, but Wolfchild on the Master System? I think it's just a case of what tips do you know? Um, because like she's clearly an actor that, that they've brought in to do this. She's even wearing the same top. They didn't even get her to change her clothing. Wolfchild as a game was released for the Amiga and the Atari ST in 92. It was later released for other platforms, so there is actually a chance it was a 1993 game, but that also means that someone saw the Master System and went, yeah, we'll release a game for that in 1993. What I suspect actually happened is they also ported it to the Game Gear. And yeah. it's a fairly easy hop, skip and a jump once you've done the work to get it work on one for the other. Additionally, it came out on the SNES, the Mega Drive and the Sega CD. Hmm. It was designed by a guy that also made Switchblade 2 and the two games are very similar in style. He had a form and he stuck to it. But it did pretty well in the reviews. The Amiga version at least got 905 out of 1,000. And that was in Ace Magazine by internet celebrity and Animal Crossing talk show host, Gary Witter. <laughs> the consoles did less well. The SNES version got 5 out of 10 in EGM. And Mega said that the Sega CD version was overpriced and did not make use of the hardware. Well, I think that's enough hints and tips for now. Let's get into our final challenge. What are we playing, Games Master? For my final challenge, I've picked Batman Returns on the Mega CD. Our brave contestant has to speed through Gotham City in the Batmobile, disposing of the Joker's evil henchmen along the way. The final obstacle is a giant jack-in-the-box on a truck. Holy practical joke. Over to our very own Boy Wonder for the challenge. Oh, here it is. Batman Returns on the Mega CD. Now, Batman Returns had a lot of games. The SNES one is bloody brilliant because that's a scrolling beat-em-up. The Mega Drive one is fine. It's okay. But I love the Mega CD one. While the platforming sections aren't much, the driving sections are brilliant. And I, I can remember it so clearly. That opening bit when it just, it, 
you see the Batmobile from the front and the camera sort of goes through into the, through the windshield and there's Batman, there's Michael Keaton's Batman there is with the big yellow symbol on his chest. Love the driving stages. And it may be because for my money, the Burton Batmobile is the best on-screen Batmobile. Aside from the Adam West one, obviously, I think that the Tim Burton Batmobile is head and shoulders above all the others. Have you ever read The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy or listened to the radio play? I've seen the Martin Freeman movie once. In certain versions of the book, the TV show, and I think the album, not the radio series, there are so many different versions of Hitchhikers. There is a car that Ford and Zaphod steal with Arthur and Trillian and that when they're at the restaurant at the end of the universe, which is where they're going to at the end of the first film. Sorry, where they're going to at the end of the only film. Only film, yeah. But anyway, they steal this car and it is so black that light falls into it. It is, <laughs> it is like this, like one of those ultra black paints. And even when they go inside, all the control panels are black. In fact, they're black controls that light up black to let you know they've done something. While they're looking at all the cars they're going to steal before picking this one, a comment is made about a car that says it looks like a fish, moves like a fish, steers like a cow. Mm -hmm. And I've got to believe on some level that whoever designed the Batmobile had heard the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy because there you have a car that is so black, light falls into it, but let's be realistic, it looks like a fish, it moves like a fish, but that car does not steer, like the real no, physical prop. Nope. That's why it has to use a grappling hook to corner. Yeah. <laughs> but it's a beautiful look. I, I, do you know what? And I haven't seen... I was going to watch Batman Returns over the Christmas period, but I still... And I haven't yet, because it's, it's now become the new popular anti-Christmas movie for people to say like people who don't like Christmas movies like the the traditional Christmas movie 10 years ago it was saying Die Hard but Die Hard has now become too popular of a choice to be called a Christmas movie so now Batman Returns is the new movie that uh, the the people who want to buck the system are saying is their favorite Christmas movie and I was gonna watch it over this festive period because I do want to re-watch it I, I haven't seen it in years but I still haven't got around to I think I was at university the last time I saw this movie. And that was like 15 years ago. We talked before we started recording and I was excited to talk about this challenge because we missed Batman Returns being top of the charts because it was in the summer. I knew it would give us a chance to talk about the film and I'm glad you brought up the Christmas thing because I did watch this, this Christmas. And I did talk about it in the whole, yeah, it's kind of an alternative Christmas movie, but I think it is more of a Christmas movie than Die Hard. Oh yeah. Die Hard, you could take away Christmas and you could make it New Year. You could make it 4th of July. You could make it Thanksgiving. You could just make it, we've done a merger. We're having a big party. That's all that's really needed. It doesn't have to be Christmas. It doesn't hang on Christmas, yeah. Batman Returns hangs on Christmas. You would have to rewrite about 45 to 50% of the movie to have it make sense and not be Christmas. Because one, the entire aesthetic of the movie is all about winter. Mm -hmm. Christmas tree lighting ceremonies all over the place. Evil circuses hiding in gift boxes. Bats hiding in Christmas trees. The entire tale of the relationship between Bruce and Selina and Batman and Catwoman. One mistletoe is a big factor. It's actually how they work out that Batman is Bruce and Selina is Catwoman. Mm-hmm. But there is something about the story of their relationship that feels 
Christmassy, not in a saccharine movie sense, but more of in the kind of morality tale, lost hearts meeting. It just, it feels Christmassy. I don't think people should watch this movie to be, oh, it's an anti-Christmas movie, I'm being an edgelord. They should watch this movie because one, it's bloody great. And two, it's a great Christmas movie. It's not an edgy Christmas movie. It's just a fucking Christmas movie. The, my lasting memory of it, though, is uh, it could be worse. Your nose could be gushing with bloods, and the fact that it's really long. Like that's the other thing. And it, it is, it's it's so long. But the the other thing that I find so startling about Batman Returns, and I remember when the last time I watched it, I was at university. My friends and I were talking about this. It, it's so fascinating to look back on because Tim Burton got the Batman gig in in eighty nine. And the studio were like, we are directing this movie. You are, you will have your name on the credits, but we're making this movie. Don't There's no two bones about it. We, Warner Brothers, are making this movie. And then Batman was this big hit. And so when they got to Batman Returns, they looked at Tim Burton and was like, oh, do you know what? Like, you proved that you can make a smash hit. Now you can make the movie. So Tim Burton was like, cool, I'm making this the most Tim Burton movie I possibly can do. Like, it's very little on Batman. It's very high because what Tim Burton likes in the Batman universe are the baddies. He likes the really messed up characters. So the Penguin is basically the main focus of the movie. And it's su it's such a, like, a fascinating thing to look on because when you get to Batman Forever, that is the studio being like, well, we gave a director far too much control there. We need to rein that shit back in and we need to find a director who will just do what we fucking tell them to do. And then that's what they got with Joel Schumacher. We need a film we can sell Happy Meal toys off of. Exactly, yeah. Batman Returns, while critically successful and financially successful, was not parentally successful. No, it was Ooh. not. It's a dark movie, and until this Christmas, I had not watched it in a while. I had forgotten how damn horny on Maine the Penguin is. Yep. He's a dirty, dirty little man. Oh, he, he is. is. He is horn-dogging after anyone and everyone. There may be footage on the cutting room floor involving some of the Penguins themselves. God knows. Great penguin work by Stan Winston, by the way. He did the mechanical penguins, an absolute effect legend. Mm -hmm. But something about this movie, everything is so right. Batman is not the focus, but he is super effective when he's in the movie. Bruce Wayne is super effective when he's in the movie. I don't think any iteration of Batman has actually captured the dynamic of Selina and Bruce versus Batman and Catwoman as well as this. Mm. And as much as it's remembered for Keaton, for Pfeiffer, for DeVito in probably one of his best serious roles I've ever seen him in, let's not forget the Walken. Because there aren't just two villains in this movie, there's a third. And arguably, he actually creates the monsters of the other two, or in the case of the Penguin, certainly gives him a lift. He literally creates Catwoman by killing Selina Kyle or giving her yeah. a near-death experience. Exactly, yeah. Max Shrek is this movie's villain. And he's great. I want to go and watch it again, Luke. Christmas is past. I want to watch it again. <laughs> it's always weird. I, as I said, I haven't seen the film in like 15 or so years, but there are certain lines that always stick with me. Like, Bruce Wayne, why are you dressed like Batman? You guys, it is in fairness, Walken playing Walken, but with a shock wig on. Yeah, exactly. It's, yeah. it's it's a look. But also Pat Hingle is back as Commissioner Gordon, that's always worth seeing. And my favourite Alfred. No offense to Michael Caine. Yeah. But Michael Goff. I was gonna say Michael Goff and Pat Hingle, the only characters that were in all four of those 
original movies of like that original run of movies because he's still Commissioner Gordon he's still Alfred uh, up until Batman and Robin and Michael Goff even played Alfred in the BBC Radio Batman Nightfall series that's cool it was an early production for radio producer Dirk Maggs and I love it I've got it on CD downstairs and I will still listen to it at least once a year it's a really fun very comic book style it's much more comic book than these movies put it that way it's much more true to the source and it's going through the entire Nightfall saga with Bane breaking Batman's back. Spoilers. But yeah, Michael Goff is in it playing Alfred, probably because he was in England. He was a fairly easy to obtain actor and he did a lot of work for the BBC. He was a Doctor Who alumni. Now, just before we get into because I do have a personal anecdote about Batman Returns before. But like, again, I haven't seen the movie in a while. There's a scene where he has gazpacho soup, isn't there? Alfred serves it to him and he's like, this is cold. And Alfred says to him, it's gazpacho soup. It's supposed to be cold. Yeah, he has a rimmer moment. He has a rimmer moment. That's all I can do. Gaspacho soup! I'd love to believe that was deliberate. I'd love to believe that <laughs> someone involved in the writing process had seen Red Dwarf, because Red Dwarf was around by that point. The first couple of yeah. seasons had been out and about, and I would love to think that was a thing, but ah, oh, I'm bummed we didn't get a third Burton movie or third Burton's toned movie, that we didn't get another Michael Keaton as Batman and that we didn't get the original planned Catwoman spin-off because this yeah. was where the story of the Catwoman movie began. And the scene right at the end, after Bruce has picked up a cat and driven away and the bat signal shines in the sky and Catwoman stands up in the foreground. That's not Michelle Pfeiffer. That was filmed way after production had finished. And they were just like, man, she's really good. We should make a spin-off movie. We should make sure people know that she's not dead. And the dialogue does reflect that. She's like, I've got two lives left. I'm going to save one for next Christmas. Yeah, I'm stunned that it didn't happen. I'm stunned because it was such a big hit for them that you would have thought they would have pressed along with getting it done. And you're right, like it's, it sucks that we didn't get that third uh, Batman movie, the Tim Burton one, because we could have had Billy D. Williams' Two-Face. I, he wanted to cast Courtney Love as Harley Quinn. There was the Scarecrow thing that he wanted to do, which was going to bring back Jack Nicholson as the Joker for a scene. There was some really cool stuff that was going to be in that the, the, the Burton verse. There was a comic that nearly got published that was... Because like DC have had... Um, uh, Batman 66 is a comic series that they've done, which is basically a, a continuation of the Adam West TV show. They've also had Wonder Woman 77, which is a continuation of the Linda Carter stuff. They were going to do Batman... I think it was called Batman 91. Or no, it had been Batman 93 or something. And it was going to follow on from the Tim Burton verse, which would have had Billy D. Williams as Two-Face. But it didn't get picked up. And I'm, I'm, I'm unsurprised the DC didn't, because I don't think 66 sells well. But it would have been cool to see at the very least. Also, it would have marked an important change for one of the most key characters in Batman's history, because a character that didn't make it into Batman Returns was Robin. Yeah, Robin Marlon was Wayans. Meant to, yeah, Marlon Wayans, who still got paid a cool $100,000 for Batman Returns, despite never even making it to the set. But it would have been a POC Robin. He would have helped Batman fix the Batmobile. When the Batmobile gets completely buggered by the uh, circus gang, that's mm. when I think he would have stepped in and he would help Batman fix it. And that would have been his role in Batman Returns. That would have been pretty much it. Batman would have gone and said something like, I'll see you around or something like that. Yeah. And then boom, next movie, we've got a Robin. I once interviewed Marlon Wayans about that. Really? What did he have to say about it? 
didn't really have much to say that, that he's not said in interviews before, but I was interviewing him to promote oh god i can't remember what it was maybe it was like it was a re-release they did a scary movie or something or it was another parody movie that he was releasing so i was talking to my editor and i he was like if you can because my my editor wrote a book on batman holy franchise uh, if you want to go i think it's still available on amazon which is basically just like here is every screen iteration of batman he said oh while you've got him on the phone ask him about playing robin and so i did and i asked him about it and he was very open to talk about it. it was like yeah it would have been really cool to do but yeah these things don't happen my brother had this on VHS, and when I was 12 years old, so 1990, I turned 12 in 1997. So I'm 12 years old. I've seen Batman Forever, and I, you know, I enjoy Batman Forever. Batman and Robin is still a year off at that point. But my you lucky brother, devil. <laughs> but my brother had. I went to the pictures to see Batman and Robin. In fact, I went the week. I was pretty sure I went the week after I saw Space Jam. Uh, I went to go see Batman and Robin. My mum had to call up, because it was a PG, my mum had to call up the uh, the cinema to ask if it was okay for me to go because I wasn't going with the parents, and it is parental guidance. Uh, they said it was fine. But anyway, so I'm, I'm, I'm 12 years old. My brother has got Batman Returns on VHS, and we've got Batman 89 taped off TV, and it's got it's written there, Batman, in brackets, 15, close brackets. My mum would not let me watch either of the movies because they were 15. And I argued till I was blue in the face. They were released in cinemas as 12s, but there was no 12 certificate VHS. So any film that came out in a cinema at 12 went straight to being a 15. And yeah, and I argued till I was blue in the face that I should be able to watch these movies as I'm now 12. But my mum was adamant that I had to wait until I was 15 before I could watch them. And I bet you if that was Batman taped off the TV, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that might have been the Christmas Day airing that they did on the BBC, which means it went out at 6pm, which means it was cut to ribbons. Absolutely, yeah. Was it worth the wait with Batman Returns? I bet it was. I bet, yeah, I mean, I saw it before then because, you know, I'm a a sneaky teenager, so I just waited till she was out and then just watched it then instead. It's so devious. Everyone thinks (laughs) it's so lovely. You know, right little sneak at times. But anyway, back to the game. Back to the game. Very quickly going to talk about the game. The Mega CD version was very similar to the Mega Drive version. In fact, the only key difference was these driving sections uh, that we're using as the basis for this game. As you mentioned, the SNES version was a scrolling beat-em-up made by Konami. Uh, Not very well received, considered to be quite unoriginal. I'm glad you like it because I do as well, because I love a scrolling beat-em-up. It's a fun game. That would have been great if they'd had Robin in it. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, it's a two-player option. Yeah. Although it was on the SNES, and as we know, they don't do two-player scrolling (laughs) beat-em-ups especially ones that are deliberately aping Final Fight. The Mega CD version was criticised because they didn't feel it really took advantage of the additional oomph in the hardware. I mean, yes, it had CD audio, but the platforming section was exactly the same as the Mega Drive, and the driving bit only accounted for a fairly small portion of the game. Yeah. And I hate to say it, even by Mega CD standards, it doesn't look great. It says a lot about the Mega CD that this is probably one of the better Mega CD games. And I was talking about that Dave Perry comment from earlier. But yeah, like this is quite usually held up as like a, an example of how good the Mega CD was. And very lastly, before we speak to our challenger, Games Master says the Joker is the baddie. It's not. It's the Penguin. Although it is a Jack in the Box. Which is why it, it is, it's a very simple mistake to make because it is very weird that the Penguin keeps using circus stuff because it's like, the Joker's not in this one, Tim. You did that in the last movie. Also... Dexter is apparently their own boy wonder. (laughs) 
Well, thankfully, he's not wearing the green pants. So, Batman Returns on the Mega CD. You a bit of a Dark Knight fan? A little bit. I haven't played the game, though. You haven't played the game? Not yet. So, you're still confident? Yeah, I'm going to do it. Yeah, good, man. Bollocks, hasn't he played the game? He's selling it pretty well, though. Uh, Neil West is back in the booth and said this is a driving game, and therefore, it's a different set of skills from him playing the platforming game earlier, which is something that will be like a big sort of like feature of the team championships that we're going to get in a couple of episodes time, where you have like your specific set of skills. You are a platforming gamer, you're a driving gamer. So this is Jim's chance to show that not only is he good at platforming games, he's also good at racing games. With me in the commentary box is Neil West again. Hello, Dax. Hello, Neil. Now, Batman is a bit of a different challenge from the first one he faced, isn't it? Certainly is. We know James can do the platform games pretty good, but this is a completely different discipline. Driving game, well, we'll have to wait and see how he does. I mean, that would just make him like a gaming god if he could master both of those. <laughs> I mean, well, let's see how he gets on with Batman Returns of the Mega CD. He does pretty well. He basically just storms through this. He takes quite a few hits on stage two, which is where you're starting. You're starting on stage two to go into stage three to fight the mini boss, which is this jack in, jack in the box that comes off the back of a lorry. And he takes quite a number of hits. But his health bar is not diminishing, really. It is, it, is, it is diminishing quite slowly. And then he gets to the boss, and he just blows the boss up. And that's it. He had really no trouble in getting the win, even though he wasn't great at the game. The biggest issue he has in that first section is time, because there's only three seconds on the clock when he completes the first bit of his challenge. And he even mentions that in the post-match, that he was a little bit worried about time on the first one. But yeah, he just obliterates the boss it's not the most high stakes challenge we've had there's also not a lot interesting to say about it because while he does it pretty easily he's also not the best at playing it he hits Mm -hmm. a lot of vehicles and not in the way you're meant to either like to ram them off for some reason there are only four types of vehicle on the streets of gotham one the batmobile two articulated lorries with jack-in-the-boxes on three motorcycle gang members and four jeeps Yeah, soccer mums. Soccer mums are the main threat to Jim's turn as Batman in this game because he hits a lot of their Jeeps. He hits a lot of those kind of like soccer mum hairdresser type cars, which are also grey against a grey road and a grey background. It struggles a bit on this one. His biggest problem is that he accelerates too much because he's essentially like, and Neil West keeps saying to him, you need to pull back. You need to pull back and like just and not speed as much as you currently are doing. Neil crowns him a worthy champion. And by virtue of the fact he completed the first challenge, he completed the second. And they were two completely different genres. So he's shown some differing skills. Absolutely. I wish this challenge had been more exciting. Yeah. I was looking forward to talking about it because it's Batman Returns. And I knew we talked about it off air and like bemoaned the fact that we weren't going to get to talk about the film. Guess what? You got that chat now anyway. (laughs) It would be nice if it was better. The first challenge was actually pretty good, particularly given the hilarity of him nearly botching it. Mm -hmm. It's a fun game. And and I'm glad he won and I'm glad he did it. But I just kind of wish it had been a bit more exciting. Yeah, no, I agree. Now, Jim, you display some excellent driving skills there. Thank you. Just go show. Races, platform games, whatever. I'm the best. Oh, so there wasn't a point when you thought you might lose it? It was slipping away from you? Uh... I wasn't sure if I'd finish the first course, but I've done it. Anyway, yeah, he proved that he's the best. Uh, He thought he might not have finished through the first round of it, but yeah, he he was best at platform, best at driving. He's the best. He gets his golden joystick from Big McLarge Huge, and as he exits with his prize, Dex bids us goodnight and leaves us with the words of the Caped Crusader. Well, we've come to the end of this week's edition of Games Master, and I'll leave you with the words of the Caped Crusader. 
Don't count your robins before they're hatched. I mean, if he's batch cloning them, which the amount of robins he seems to get through nowadays could be reasonable, I can believe the Cape Crusader might say that, particularly the Adam West Batman. Oh, yeah. I mean, it should be worth noting that Games Master did say wholly practical joke at the start of this because Batman 66, despite the fact that 89 has been a big hit, 66 is still basically the definitive Batman at this point. And the wholly blank Batman is still very much here. Uh, and it is alive and well. It's also one of the best jokes in Batman Forever when they are climbing up the Riddler's thing at the end and he says, Holy rusted metal, Batman! Huh? You're grown, it's all metal, it's full of holes, you know? Holy! Oh. It's one of the best jokes in Batman Forever. That's not a high bar. <laughs> it's the car, right? Chicks dig the car. Anyway, that was episode 11. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed this one. Um, I, I mostly enjoyed it. The, the last challenge is a bit of a letdown, but uh, I did enjoy it. I thought I, the Pugsy challenge at the start was a lot of fun, particularly because you've got Jim bollocksing it up so much, and that was really, really funny. Um, Danny Bear was great, you know, a fully formed celebrity already there at the age of 18. She was, you know, uh, the best thing about it, and it was a fun little challenge. Not too much to say about the consultation zone and some decent enough games in the review zone. I found the feature to be very bizarre. Because, as we talked about on this, no idea what it was about. But we did get to have a fun chat about ROM hacking. It's a shame that the Batman Returns challenge doesn't quite hold up. But, you know, it, it, it got to shelf the Mega CD. We don't get a lot of Mega CD challenges on Games Master. So, yeah, I thought it was a, a fairly decent little episode, this. It, but what I will say is that it's, it's a bit of a come down from episode 10, which I absolutely loved. We said this last week, but, man, when I put on episode 11 after watching episode 10... There was this like, ah, oh, I'm sad we're not at Games Master Live again. Episode 10 is probably one of our highest rated episodes, like when we go to the ranking. Um, this definitely isn't. But my yeah. one of my first notes in my summary section was, this is not episode 10. Yeah. First challenge was nice. It was a platformer game, but it was at least a platformer game doing something a bit different. I kind of wish they'd played down the they've never played this before angle because it got really laboured. The review zone, while yes, Jazz hates platform games, it showed some interesting enough games. That's cool enough. The feature definitely gave us something to talk about. Mm -hmm. Celebrity challenge, it was okay for what it was. It, it filled the same celebrity challenge niche as um, Sonic Blast Man or even one of the American Laser type games. It's less about the game, it's about the celebrity that's doing it. And it was great to think about Danny Bear again and to be taken back to that time where she was everywhere and I'd completely forgotten about her. And as I said, reading that interview, I think she's okay with that. And I'm glad she's doing okay. I'm very glad she's doing okay because too many celebrities from that period in time, particularly the kind of teen to young 20s ones, didn't fare so well. Mm. Consultation Zone was quite fun. Three nice little hints there. The, the rock and roll racing one's a cracker. I mean, that's that was still a, really a valid one. tactic I use when playing it today. Yeah. And then the final challenge, which... It wasn't bad, it just wasn't great. Although, at least we know he won. <laughs> yeah, it's true. But yeah, I mean, what are you thinking score-wise? Uh, I was going to ask you to go first, because I gave it an initial score in my notes, and now I think it's too low. Which is interesting, because I initially had 82 written down. Because, like, it's a, it was, you know, it's a strong episode, but then I thought that might be slightly too high. I had 80. Mm. And now I'm actually thinking to go up a few points, a bit above 82. I was thinking two out of three challenges are a lot of fun. 
the reviews were fine the consultation zone was fine i was gonna go for 84 the only reason i was gonna downgrade it was because i didn't think much of the 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 mole game for the celebrity challenge but then like as we were just saying then it wasn't about the game it was about the celebrity and i thought the danny bear was great so i'm gonna stick with 82 percent on that one my other thing that i think raised the celebrity challenge up for me was the celebrity one yeah a lot of times the celebrities are there to put over whatever they're promoting and then they lose to a child. Yeah. Danny Bear may not be a hardcore gamer, but she wanted that golden joystick. She got that goddamn golden joystick. And she played Dex at his own game. And uh, spoilers for next week, she's way more interesting than next week's Celebrity Challenge. (laughs) You've got a week until you get to it. We're going to start talking about it in the next 10, 15 minutes. So, you know. Oh, yeah. But anyway, that is all we've got time for on this edition of Under Consultation. Thank you so much for listening. You all rule. Uh, if you want to follow us on Twitter, we are at underconsolepod. We're on Instagram at under.console. And you can send any emails, kind of like how Craig did about Miss Loud, to feedback at underconsultation.com. Or if you want a bit of real-time interaction, you want to chat with us in the now, you can join our Discord where we've had our lovely, lovely group of people over the past few weeks to give you perspective We've just had a very surreal Christmas and New Year period. We're now in national lockdown, which we will probably still be in by the time you hear this. And everyone on that Discord is supporting each other. It's it's genuinely emotional to see. And I love every single person there and what they're bringing. So if you want to hang out with a group of like-minded people that like your retro games, that like your video games, that like strange discussions about whether Batman Returns is in fact a Christmas movie come on over and join us details are in the notes indeed and if you want to support this podcast monetarily you can do so over at patreon.com forward slash under console pod if you back us at the five pound level you get next week's episode so you can hear us talk about next week's uh horrible guest not horrible boring guest um one week early and ad free uh and at the 10 pound level you get some extra bonuses ash what do they get at the £10 level, they get stickers, they get badges, they get retro trading cards, they get retro sweeties, they get an under-consultation Patreon-exclusive mug. They get £5 off the under-consultation t-shirt, which is available along with other mugs, other stickers and other badges at underconsultation.com. Now shout out to those £10 backers, Adam, Adam, Cliff, Gordon, Jamie, Matt, Misha, Nick, Phil, Rich, Robert, Sean, Simon, William, Zach, David, and Adam. You're all genuinely wonderful, bloody lovely people. And that is going to do it for this week. We'll see you in seven days' time for the final episode of this era of Games Master Season 3. It's the final week before the team championships. Yeah, who'd have thought we'd have had out with the old and in with the new twice in one series. Indeed. We'll see you in seven days' time. Take care, everyone. See ya.